Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. Welcome to our special November series. Second straight year we're doing a special month of November. The four episodes we're going to do this November are going to be a little bit of a change from our normal approach of taking an article or a book or an activist letter and then talking about the analysis contained therein. Instead, we're going to look at our own ideas in the mirror to see what could go wrong and what could go right. This week, I'm pitching an idea. Next week, Mike pitches one. Then we'll do an episode reviewing bad calls we've made in the past. And then we'll do a last episode with conclusions, lessons learned to mark our 100th episode. So with that said, what am I pitching? I'm pitching Stitch Fix, ticker symbol SFIX. The clothing e-commerce company has had a choppy time of it on the market since it came public about two years ago. I think there's a compelling growth story here, and I think there's a reasonable price to be had on the shares, and I'll tell you why on today's episode. Mike will then ask the questions that show why I'm wrong, and I should note, I don't know what questions he's going to ask, so I'm going to have to deal with it on the fly. Before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work. We take articles from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem, as well as Joel Greenblatt books, and activist letters, and our own portfolios, and try to break them down to understand the approach and how this can apply to our investing. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. I am long SFIX, and Mike has no positions in any stocks we expect to mention, though who knows, maybe I'll get him started on the right track. No way. It's impossible. <laughs> You'll never get me on the right track. You might get me to believe in Stitch Fix, but the right track is just a bridge too far. Uh, maybe after the 100th episode, we'll get there, Mike. Well, I can. Why don't I talk about something that is on the right track real quick? Please. Behind the Idea is brought to you by Seeking Alpha Pro Plus, a subscription service that's definitely on the right track. Pro Plus gives you exclusive access to top ideas like these, like these. Uh, I think Daniel would probably say that his idea is a top idea, but it has not gone through the rigorous Pro Plus editorial screening process. In any case, Pro Plus gives you access to great investment ideas as well as real-time alerts on some of our best articles, including some of our short and long ideas on Stitch Fix. will help you round out your research process if Daniel in any way captures your attention with his investment idea. We'll see. ProPlus helps you find the best of Seeking Alpha quickly and easily so you can spend more time breaking down the analysis behind it, kind of like what we do here on Behind the Idea. To try ProPlus, go to seekingalpha.com slash ProPlus, where you can sign up for a monthly subscription or try an annual subscription with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Check it out at seekingalpha.com slash P-R-O-P-L-U-S. All right, Daniel, hit me. Stitch Fix thesis. What is it? What are you all about here? I don't know if it's a top idea. That was, uh, we're going to have to fire our advertising copywriter for that, uh, lack of update, but Stitch Fix. I've been interested in adding growth to my portfolio for some time. Growth in the sense of I've, I've talked about on the show in the past revenue growth, I believe is a really important metric that Initially, I only looked at valuation and I've kind of tried to add more and more revenue growth as a consideration. I don't mean go out to 
the fastest growing, you know, CrowdStrike we covered a few weeks ago. I don't necessarily mean that, but I'm looking for low price growth. I inspired by Jim Rumel, Seeking Alpha author, fund manager. Some of the ideas he's had sort of, I developed a model, what I thought of as the Jim Rumel stock. Decent growth, you know, 10% or more. Industry that isn't wholly understood. Clean balance sheet, free cash flow generative or soon to be. So, and the, you know, they, they control their own destiny. They don't need to go to the markets for cash, but they have something that's resonating with customers and a pathway that will get them to profitability. I think you can find some inefficiencies there. So that's sort of what I've been looking for. <laughs> You're, so we're 15 years into growth outperforming value, something like that, more than a decade, right? So how does it feel, Daniel, to this late in, in the boom? start coming around to the idea that growth is uh the right track to take well and we're, we're like this year it's starting to flip right back to value so i may be i may be that you know last person You're the on. top tick exactly <laughs> top tick in it but uh yeah it feels look growth is i i think i've made this point before it's there's something exciting it shouldn't you shouldn't think this way and at the same time it's nice to find companies that have prospects that are that you can see owning for 10, 20 years, depending on how they execute. And we talked last week about execution stories. This is certainly an execution story to some degree. So I don't want to discount that. But yeah, I don't know. It is what it is. You know, Mike, we can't, we can't do it all from day okay. one. So you just you're not self-conscious about getting into growth at this particular moment when value is having a bit of resurgence and we're looking in the rearview mirror, a lot of growth. Okay. So. Let's talk more about Stitch Fix in particular. What, what's your uh, assessment? What do you like here? So sometime last year, I started following the company, not as an investor per se, never really got into a price I was interested in, but more, I'm, I admire their business model. Stitch Fix is a clothing e-commerce company. They essentially handpick you through a network of stylists, plus a lot of algorithmic sort of data work. They handpick you items that they send, usually in packages of five. You then are able to try them on, decide if you keep them. You pay a $20 fee or you can pay sort of a ongoing, I think it's a $49 a year fee. or I can't remember the exact plan there, but you pay a fee to get it, but then that applies towards your clothing purchases. And so... It's what I like about it just as a philosophy in the modern age where everything is trending towards AI or to sort of dehumanized approaches. I like that there's a, so just as aesthetically, I like the idea of curation, a human touch, though fueled by data insights, fueled by the fact that, and one of the interesting things about using Stitch Fix is that you kind of realize you're not really that special, but that's, a, you know, fine. Like people wear the same clothes as you. It's not a big deal. And so I, uh, I liked, I liked that about their business. I've sort of studied their business from, you know, a hypothetical entrepreneur standpoint, from work at Seeking Alpha standpoint, et cetera. And I've been following it closely. It hasn't been crazily priced. It, it has gone up and down. It went all the way up to the forties last September. I think it, IPO'd, I think, at 15 in, two, in November 2017. But it's not like a, 
it's not a crate. It isn't a crowd strike, for example, which trades for 30 times next year's sales or something. Like this is a company that historically has traded between about one and a half and three times enterprise value to sales. To me, reasonable price just in, in terms of on the surface before we get into the profitability. I then like that they are, they are profitable, not super profitable. The margins are pretty slim, but they haven't needed a lot of money. They raised about $40 million total in venture capital, which I don't think is that big for a 1.5 billion sales company as of the last fiscal year. They had their IPO, of course. And so I think I'll get into the valuations in a second, but they've been pressed. I'm impressed by Katrina Lake as a CEO and founder, co-founder. She, I've listened to a lot of interviews with her. It just seems like she's got a good head for the business. She seems to understand it, be flexible and thoughtful in how she's approaching things. So I've been impressed with the management. They've also, I think their COO built walmart.com, if I'm not mistaken. Like they have some experience supporting her. She's a young CEO. She's in her mid thirties, but so I do like the management here. What do you, do you have an example of kind of her adaptability or some, something in more particular that you like or that sort of raised a flag for you that she's a solid manager? I think she, look, she's, she's partly trying to be a salesperson when she does these interviews, right? She's her CEO. You're trying to be an ambassador of the company. And I think she's done pretty well with that. It's interesting. She points out that one of her struggles is raising money like the so where i referenced it earlier they sort of view their ipo as not <laughs> they haven't been able to raise money that's why <laughs> well so there's it's really a- impressive they've never raised any money <laughs> great, no, but, great company no but that like look it's they've they've managed to be successful without needing to raise crazy amounts of capital but yeah i think that's a i think um so here's a business example i don't know if you can literally attribute to her, but their business has grown from started with women's. It's grown to men's. It has kids. They're in the UK. They have plus size. So they've tried to sort of go vertical by vertical. They threw in things like socks are now in the mix as options, etc. I think. Whoa. We, wait. Socks? I don't think it's like amazing. You get, I don't think you get matched with socks. I think you can just say, please throw in. They some have socks. like toes or no toes socks. <laughs> I have you know anyone who uses the little toe socks? No, but I don't I feel like some of my hippie friends probably use those. I, anyway, that's way sidetracked. So okay, so so here's so they've, a, here, they've grown out into different verticals and categories. And here's so here's something I so I tried their product this summer. Finally, I had been following them for a long time. Talked to friends who used it, mostly positive though. Of course, it doesn't work for everybody. But I tried it this summer. I'll go more into detail about my experiences if it's relevant but one of the it's things relevant we have to go there so my fine i'll go start there then instead of coming back to it so my experience i filled you do a questionnaire you fill out something like i think they call it, say 90 questions some of it is like would you wear this would you wear that do you like this style do you like that etc they talk about your fit i am quite short and stocky and i have either a big neck or no neck depending on how you look at it so Call, call, <laughs> big to none like why you know collar shirts no, have always been no in neck trouble. is like just to clarify for a list no <laughs> neck is actually bigger than big neck right that's like the biggest you could get is no neck yeah it's like it's the shoulders go straight itself. to straight to the head in some ways so 
<laughs> You're making yourself sound so attractive. <laughs> Daniel's a very good looking guy, everyone. So just I'm, keep that in mind. I'm, I'm a wrestler's body. So it is. <laughs> yeah. So that is what I, you know, and so it's tough. Pants are usually too long and shirts will be like getting the balance between having a thick torso and short arms can be tough. So it's, I'm not the easiest person to shop for. My wife has been with me for over a decade. She has learned how to shop for me. I of course know how to shop for myself, but so I filled out the form and I said, you know, and I said something at the end, like, look, I live in Spain. My wife usually, which I know is very typical. And we've talked about this in the past, like, but whatever that that's somewhere where we can find to gender stereotypes a little bit. So I said, that's where my style is, but I'm open to new ideas. And so a few days later, I got the fix and you have like three to five days to make a decision and then send back anything you want to send back. You also say how much you're willing to pay. So they give you a price range and I'll, mm. uh, I thought the price, I'll get to the price at the end, but I thought the price was reasonable. I got mm. five items. I thought it was going to be 10. I think I got confused, but it's five items and I liked four of them. I got a button-down shirt, which I then heard in interviews that I think this was probably because it actually three of the five items I got were actually Stitch Fix brands, which I thought was I didn't realize they had until after I looked them up, including the perfect button-down shirt for $50 is how I think Katrina Lake describes it, which I think they designed themselves. Button-down shirt fits nice, wore it the last time I went to the New York office. Plain t-shirt, very simple, but a good color for me. It's like an olive green. A pair of jeans, American Eagle jeans, interestingly enough, which I probably wouldn't shop on my own, but right. nice pair of black jeans, pair of shorts that are like a little preppy, but okay. And then the only thing I didn't like was a collared shirt. But at that point, you got like a 25% off if you bought everything discount. And so it was actually more economical to economic to keep it <laughs> than to send back that one item. And, and, and I have worn that shirt a few times. I mean, it actually, it's just not the best color, but the shirt fits fine. So good experience. I got a personal note from my stylist, Regan. She, you know, had a nice note for me, explained why she picked what she picked. It's just, and you know, it's kind of a fun experience. I get to show them off to my wife. She gets to make the pick. She's, she was very impressed as well. And that's my main audience. So mm, yep. I thought, and, but then what I was going to, and the price only, I think it was something like 170 bucks all told, which for five items of clothing that I described, not too bad. it's not, it's not cheap. It's not Obviously not well, good. That's but. what I think is interesting. That's a business model point that I think we should hit. And I did this without thinking when I was, I, I also filled out the form. I have not gotten a fix, but doing research for this podcast, I sort of tried to see what it was like to sign up. And among many other sort of humorous answers to the questions that came up, they know what your price range is. They can price discriminate among all their customers which means they can mark things up to sort of the very edge of what you're willing and i think this experience you're describing is kind of like showing you that they hit you where it's like you thought it was reasonable but there's a there's a, you're not just like this is so cheap your response is kind of like it hurt a little but it's all worth it 
And I think that that's probably when you click those buttons at the very beginning of your relationship with Stitch Fix, that's like a huge business advantage for them to be able to range your price sensitivity right at the beginning. Like they will, they can do this across the demand curve, presumably, and they can extract max value from everybody, uh, from each individual person, or at least that's a story I would consider. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I should look, I won't be able to do it on this podcast. I should look at what the prices were as compared to what my range was. It's interesting to think if they would be strategic about like the first time around giving you more. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but yeah, I don't know because, because I'll get into why I think the, the experience, how it informed my approach. But the example I had of the management team is then I noticed going to their site later. I can now that olive green t-shirt, they say, Hey, do you want another one in, in this color or a different color? Just buy it. Like go here. And that's a new feature they've. I forget if they call it direct buy or right to buy or whatever it is, but it's like, that's a relatively trivial thing to build out. But then all of a sudden I like that button down shirt. I can just order that as much as I want. That's a like, again, and that, that would seem to me relatively high margin because you don't have to go, you don't have to get the stylist involved, et cetera. So I think that's an example of intelligent management, intelligent development based on what they're already doing. So that is that is my point there. And then my experience with the product, I guess, beyond enjoying it, I thought it's the sort of thing where if it doesn't hit you, like if you do it and you don't like it, I wouldn't be surprised. And that's fine. You probably won't cost them any more money, right? Like you're not going to, if they fail to win you over, then you just go into the discard pile and then they try to get other clients. And the people who like it, it should get better as they learn more about you because what you also do is you give feedback on every item on a line. And because as I've described, it is kind of a enjoyable process and you're, and there is a human connection. Even, I mean, I don't know like who this person is, who is the stylist, but like there's a little bit of, Oh, there's somebody on the other side. She like made cute typos in the notes and whatever. So it feels like a real person. What was her name again? Ragan. Like Reagan. Yeah. How's your wife feel about Reagan? She was, <laughs> she was impressed. She's a good job. She impressed. Not no threat there. She's your new pen pal <laughs> picking your clothes for you. I, you know, I did the very cliche. I, like I said, I put Amy right. I didn't see this wife. risk in the 10 K, but <laughs> st- spousal stylist jealousy risk. <laughs> Well, you know, and obviously their business is very woman oriented. They say that the men's business is doing as well margins wise as the women's business. And it's, so it's attractive to people who don't like to shop, which check, that's me. Yeah. But I think it is something that if you do it, it seems like it will either appeal to you or it won't. And if it appeals to you, it should increasingly get better. And from Stitch Fix perspective, higher margin and higher throughput because People are going to just come back and they're going to do better. And then you're not going to have to send stuff back. So Stitch Fix isn't going to have to spend any cost, spend any money on that, et cetera. And so I think it's an intelligent model. There are risks to it that I can go into, but I think the model is designed in a way that should sustain profitability and support improvements over time. If, you know, if they execute, if they are genuinely getting better with their data, with their 
stylist network with their in-house brands, et cetera. So, so from a sort of unit economics perspective, you have some level of sort of price discrimination slash pricing power. They know how much they can potentially mark up each customer. They also, from a revenue standpoint, get smarter about selling you things that you're going to want, which could boost revenue per customer, your sort of t-shirt example. And so on the top line, you have these attractive customer relationship, data-driven points. Uh, For people who like it, there's some sort of stickiness to it, it sounds like. Um, Your relationship with Reagan seems to be going quite well. Uh, And then from a cost perspective, you say they got additionally more intelligent about how to serve the customer, so potentially some of the SG&A stuff. And they have information about you that they only have to gather once that also sort of expands the margins. I noticed that gross margins, yeah, are around 45%, which it seems reasonably high for uh, what's basically a, a clothing retailer. So maybe that scans a little bit, although who knows? So, so yeah, so is that the basic thing? They got smarter about the customer that that allows them to sort of expand the margin on each incremental purchase and that story is playing out on the income statement i guess yeah i think i would add to that and i don't know if i've heard mrs lake say this on any interview or i did just hear the instacart ceo and founder talk about this in the grocery business and i think it applies here too stitch fix is well situated, I think, as far as suppliers. They do have a couple brands. I can't imagine that that's a huge threat to their, to the other brands they work with. You know, in part, as you saw in the intro, they ask you what brands do you like? Uh, mm-hmm. not Nike or I think I only liked Gap, Zara and Old Navy, but. Oh. I, I went with all the action sports ones. A lot of North Face, Patagonia, Vans. Vans. I like mash the Vans button. Yeah. (laughs) I'm wearing a Thrasher magazine t-shirt right now. Oh, there you go. Thrasher. That's perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. So, they – so, I feel like they can give a lot of insight to the – without – I I don't know. I mean, I guess there's data privacy issues that you can look into. But they – like, they can – be a good partner to these brands, I think, because they can say, hey, people really like this or people are saying this is no. not a good, you know what I mean? Like that's a lot of information that they in theory can leverage. Instacart actually has an advertising business. I don't know. I don't think Stitch Fix will go there because I think personalization is such an important part of what they do and they still have a lot of room to expand. But that's, that's I think, a competitive strength for them as well. And that they're we can get into competitors in a second, but they're kind of that model of a Switzerland. They're kind of a neutral player here as far as I don't think they're threatening to other brands. I don't think they're in-house somewhere, etc. So I think that that's the only other key element of the business model that or the competitive competitive advantages that I would point out for Stitch Fix. You don't think they're threatening to other brands and you don't think they're in-house somewhere? Can you just, what does that mean? So the the most obvious example I think of is Spotify, which is another growth stock I've looked at. I, I don't think it's attractive yet, but Spotify is considered something that can play nicely on Android. It can play nicely on Apple, whatever, like whatever the platform, it is sort of that Switzerland approach. I can't remember where I was. I think in a recent conversation, I was talking about a similar 
thing, and I can't remember what the standard. Oh, Roku is considered that too. Roku is considered sort of this. Uh, yeah, compatible with all these different. Exactly, and so Stitch brands. Fix to me, I think, is not because their competitors are Amazon, who I don't think has a great track record of personalization. I don't think has a great track record, even more so of supplier relationships. I mean, they have it obviously, and you need to be on Amazon, but. I'm not sure that people like to work with Amazon as much as I could have, you know, I, I, this is supposition, right? This is not necessarily founded on hard research, but so I think that Amazon is the one example. And then the other example is Nordstrom's, I think is setting up a competitor. I, I know Nordstrom is a retailer as well, but I'm just, I feel like Stitch Fix is, you know, founded in 2011. So they're still a very new company. I feel like they have. They have a lot of runway to work with these brands and to be a partner to them is, I guess, how I, put, I know that's Silicon Valley-esque, but that's sort of how yeah. – that's what I mean by it. Okay. I have some questions for you. Go. Okay. This is a clothing retailer. Yes. What do you think about the growth profile of the retail market? clothing retail in particular. It seems like it would just track GDP growth. I guess e-commerce is a sub-market that's growing faster. What do you think of the growth prospects of the market that Stitch Fix is in? Good question. Yeah, I would assume clothing retail is GDP. And this is by the like we joked earlier about top idea. This is where this is clearly not a top idea because I don't have independent insight. I'm basing it largely on what I've heard from the CEO or from reading about the company, et cetera. But I think the the upside is in the shift to e-commerce and the shift to personalization. I think that's where they outpace the clothing retail market, which I agree. I, don't, I, you know, I think that's probably GDP growth. I don't know why that would outpace GDP or population growth. And so I think their opportunity is... And also their risk is in their active, growing their active clients and retaining their active clients. I think the retention, I would like to see numbers on both fronts. They do report their active client growth. I would like to see more. I don't know. I don't think I have quite a full picture on their retention, but active client growth as compared to their marketing is right now the whole business valuation case is essentially that they're going to get leverage out of SGNA. Gross margin they project is getting up to 46%. You said it was at 45. SG&A is, they, they essentially have it tracking, I think, to about 34%, uh, with 10% of that being advertising. Advertising is more or less there right now. So they're basically trying to get leverage out of everything else. I guess I would want to see how is the advertising going as far as are they getting people who actually want to stick around or do they have to go through a lot of people to then get that one or two people who will actually be an active client. And so I think that's where in terms of their growth, it's more about migrating people from, and the reason I say to the CEO, you know, the thing I I think Katrina Lake often will point out the size of the e-commerce market is still not very big as compared to the, uh, brick and mortar retail market and that's where the opportunity is is in that migration uh-huh. and just so like i i looked something up on seeking alpha while you were talking just to give listeners a little perspective so this is i'm quoting from a, another from app economy insights did a stitch fix article recently 
including a point-by-point debunking of various bear points. Here's the quote. Stitch Fix is already making $1.6 billion in revenue through 3.2 million active clients, resulting in $487 average revenue per active client. The average American spends $1,700 on clothes yearly, and for women, it's much higher. Wait, this is weird. Here's the quote, but if you look at women's fashion alone, oh, women's fashion alone, the average rises to 4,800 yearly. I was going to be like, uh, the weighted average there is a little weird. If it's 50% women, 50% men, 1,700, 48, the math isn't right. Would men, I guess, make clothes on average and sell them? Uh, anyway, that's just to give some numbers here and that, that holds together. So according to this, it would be like, Stitch Fix has headroom both on the sort of proportion of clothing budget that each customer spends. Uh, if they're only at 487 average revenue, if they get convert people to spend all their clothing spend, that would be triple. Uh, if they got all their existing customers to spend all their money on Stitch Fix, that would triple revenues and uh, 3.2 million active clients. There's obviously a lot of room for horizontal expansion client acquisition there. So I guess that makes some sense in terms of the growth opportunity here. And you can see it at least in the trailing numbers, this like 30% growth, uh, year to year, although tapering a little bit. And I think you're modeling and we won't talk about your model yet, but you're modeling in some declining growth as well, maybe just to be conservative. So, okay, there's an opportunity here. Here's next question. We did the, we covered a um, Berna Barche of then I think of Viola Capital Management had a bear thesis on Ralph Lauren, which was that, um, and the, the concern with Ralph Lauren at that time was that the clothing market and brands are kind of on a trend of increasing fragmentation. You have sort of artisan designers marketing their stuff on Instagram, and that's eating into the kind of mass-produced Ralph Lauren situation. Stitch Fix kind of seems to be on the in-between of this. So on one hand, they are customizing clothes according to individual preferences, which is a little bit artisanal. But on the other hand, they who's to say that this this is a market that can really be aggregated? Is there a possibility that the marketplace for clothing just becomes this kind of idiosyncratic, personally defined thing the way maybe music is, where you have your individual tastes or whatever, but there's a, you know, a direct producer consumer sort of connection, maybe in high end fashion more than anything else. But where is Stitch Fix in this kind of mix of fragmenting customer preferences and fragmenting uh, production capabilities? I think I'm going to take the music analogy because I, I know music better than clothing. And I think it's a good one. You know, you and I have our taste in music, which overlaps and, you might recommend something to me. I might recommend something to you. But I don't think we're likely to... But I think both of us place more energy into our music curation personally than the average person. I could be wrong, but... And I think... I don't place much energy into anything, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the we're not... It's not like we're going and asking 
the hold steady to write a song for us to use band we were talking about before the show. And so I think that's where, look, I think there are going to be people who are on Instagram and who see celebrity X or celebrity Y or whatever. They see clothing and then they kind of pick it out. I think Stitch Fix has diversified their risks to a degree in the sense that they are drawing from different brands and that they can in theory shift. Like they're not stuck on trends the way that retailers are even you know i mentioned before the show or during the show zara is one of the brands i liked and zara is by inditex spanish company and they're known for fast fashion for turning but they're still making bets in four week cycles or whatever it is instead of in 12 week cycles but it's still a bet on a style whereas stitch fix in theory, and this is where I think their risk is actually in their stylist mode as well as their data. And again, the data is hard to, they provide in their Q4 earnings slides, they provide some numbers on various questions, including that cohort spend is going up. And they're like the sort of finicky definitions that aren't really transparent and you can't really, it's nice that they're thinking about it. I don't know what to do with those numbers, but. I bring that up to say, as long as their stylists, as they keep good relationships with their stylists, and there's some, you know, there's some gig risk around that or gig economy risk, and there's some whatever else risk around having more or less freelancers do this for you or whatever that I don't know the exact, I think it's part. Yeah. 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 Okay. So there's risk there, but what is the punchline? But (laughs) the punchline is that they are. I think they're more flexible to deal with that. I, I think that that's not if the seventies come back in again or whatever else, like whatever the new style is. And even, and I would think they're even an answer to that, assuming that their model allows you to develop these relationships with a stylist, which I don't do it frequently enough to know. But I think if you were to get a fix once a quarter, once a month, you would develop that relationship. They can adjust with you in uh-huh. a way that is not like going to the store and then realizing I'm not 21 anymore. I can't go to urban outfitters or whatever. And so I think that's, I think they are better equipped to deal with that than your average retailer. Mm, Okay. Okay. I guess that's kind of, yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's cutting both ways. I also don't really get a strong sense of their inventory management program. Do you know anything about, are they able to turn inventory faster? Do they hold less inventory as a result of all this? They have to source the clothes. Do they do it just in time? Or do they, they have distribution centers, I read from the 10K, where they sort of pick things out. So are they holding a bunch of inventory? And then when they get a new customer acquired, basically, how does that work? Do they have like the American Eagle store in one of their distribution centers effectively? Also, a van store in their distribution centers. And then they just, when an order, when a fix comes in, they curate the stuff. Oh, I guess they have this cool little buffer with the stylus where the stylus can actually make decisions based on what's available. But tell me, tell me about that. Maybe that would help in, increase my confidence because I'm not really persuaded that, that they have an advantage over standard retailers. Um, based on the data management, unless that's somehow being implemented in the supply chain operations component. So I'll be honest, I don't know. Is the like I haven't got into that degree of 
analysis. I think there's, it's great questions and I don't want to BS around it. The only, okay, then let's, let's, oh, the, there is one thing. Okay. The only thing I'll say is I'm just pulling up Y charts and plugging in days inventory outstanding and stitch fixes. So far, it appears much lower than Nordstrom, than American Eagle. Okay. So I, I suspect you would they think can... you would think that they would have an advantage there based on just uh, the order comes in and they fill it. However, they do that. Okay, you but wouldn't anyway, think they would carry a ton of inventory risk, right? Right, exactly. Okay, so that kind of gets into my big point here, which is that first of all, in the data science and the advantages there, I. I feel like algorithms and data crunching and all this stuff is a little bit overrated. Just every company's like, we have all this data. We know all this stuff about what everybody does. And I think often it comes down to like, they know that you like green shirts and that, but probably Target knows that about you. If you shop with Target, the credit card companies know this stuff about you. I think I just wonder how much there is to improve on maybe on the individual customer to customer preferences. There are slight variations, but probably these things all shape into segments that are just cohorts that have very, that are relatively heterogeneous from group to group and and then homogenous within each group. So basically it's like, Knowing what you, Daniel, like is, is probably there's a bunch of people like you and it doesn't matter to get down to this custom level with people because what's actually happening is what retailers have been doing for a long time, which is they, they know that someone like you exists and they know that there are some number of people like you and then they build a business around that. So are we sure that it really matters all that much that Stitch Fix has this customized data and is it really that much of an advantage over other retailers who, whether they have first party preferences or not, many of them probably do, are, they may not be that far behind Stitch Fix. Yeah, good question. Uh, I don't know. I, the data could be a lot of jazz hands, right? It could be a lot of, oh, yeah. we've got data science. We keep hiring data scientists and San Francisco, you know, they must be expensive, et cetera. Like I, I could hear all that. I think how I would wearing a bull's hat, I guess I would say that. <laughs> I mean, cause look, it's a good question. I, I don't know for sure, but I would say that there's the fact that you have a human at the end of the day is one plus. It just kind of makes sure that you don't have that. There's a little bit of it's a guardrail is really how I view it more than anything else. And then. The other advantage, I think, of the model, I think, so there, I, well, I think there's, you, I don't know, do you go to Target to order green shirts? Do you, do you, do they have, I mean, if you've ordered it once before, yeah, maybe they have it waiting for you. But then I think what's attractive about Stitch Fix is you spend 10 minutes thinking about it, thinking about how you dress. And then you say, you might say, I, I need a pair of shoes. Daddy needs mm-hmm. a new pair of shoes. And then you put that in your mouth. <laughs> you wouldn't say that. It's just, to Regan, you would say that? You're going to need to keep it professional with your stylist, Daniel. It's just the dice line. You said like, it to yourself. Okay, you said it to yourself, Daddy, which is weird also. Anyway. 
<laughs> so we're getting personal here. That's uh, you So know, daddy but, needs a new pair of shoes. Okay. But then you don't think about it. And then it comes in the mail. You try it on. And either you like it or you, you know what I mean? Like it's, I think it's, I think you're <laughs> underestimating the, the convenience and the fact. And I guess the other thing that Stitch Fix has is as a, focused on this vertical which is why okay, there you go That's why I, I would be concerned if they went into advertising for example because i think that uh-huh. would be and they've not said a word about it but it, i brought it up earlier i'd be concerned because that would be a loss of focus to me on what they're doing i think their focus they don't have physical store to worry about they've thrown you know they've said sometime in the future maybe that makes sense right now we don't see any reason they don't have a business protect and so they can really just focus on making the online experience as easy as possible for you to just sign up. And then, you know, once they sign, I get emails from them all the time, which I'm sort of leaving on because I like them, but really I delete quickly. But they like, they have you in their, in their user pool. And then, yeah, I, the reality is I looked at, once I figured out that their three of the items they bought me were made in house, I looked up their description of the brand and I felt a little sheepish. You know, I don't consider myself as preppy as the brands they picked out oh, for me are. Okay. It hurt your feelings. It hurt. You're not as special as you think you are. So you're you totally to right. Duke. You went to Duke. I, I, so you are, there you go. I uh, did worse than go to Duke. Let's just say I've done even <laughs> worse on this spectrum than Duke. So I'm not defending myself. <laughs> wow. Yikes. <laughs> But well, I'll just just on that level, I I listed myself as athletic in the. I wonder how valid that data point is for Stitch Fix. <laughs> like every man aged over thirty probably puts themselves as athletic, and there's no like the one <laughs> next to it is husky. Husky yeah. is the one right next <laughs> to it. Gotta admit that. I mean, I guess there's but a, you want there's the a husky case to be made for me. You, you want would... them to fit? Probably some people would admit it. I. Look, I think I was on the edge. And You're I athletic, wasn't. Mike. You're athletic. I, I support I, you. I wasn't fishing for compliments, but I do have <laughs> body image problems that probably will hurt my Stitch Fix experience. Okay. So, like, the other thing. So, I think your point is just, like, they're focused on this particular edge and mm-hmm. the other other companies aren't. So, there is some incremental benefit there. I guess the other thing I would say is, like, maybe it doesn't have to be, and this is to help you, maybe it doesn't have to be that great of... Uh, an advantage because clothing retail is such a high operating leverage business. Traditionally, a couple of basis points here, or a percentage point there is going to make a huge difference in t- terms of your performance relative to industry. So fine. Uh, well, and still- it's it, just to jump, it really is the numbers you want to watch. I think outside of the bottom, you know, the traditional pr- profitability metrics, which matter, and which we can go into is you want to see that they're growing their active clients because otherwise, if they stop growing active clients, then they're not like there's, then it's a different sort of story. It might still be, you know, maybe they cut advertising and whatever, but so that's one. And then you, you want evidence that they're keeping clients. They're not burning through them. Like I said, and that they are spending more, which they're providing. I, I, I can't fact check their their claims and their filings, but you want to see that people are getting better experiences. The fact that it, you know, I've, I remember talking about, you see the, um, you go for a flight, right? And you go to kayak and they say, we are searching thousands of other websites and they like take five seconds and it really takes 
half a second, but they're just showing you how hard they're working. It could be the data is the same way. It could be they're just like, all right, this short guy, no neck. Here we go. Take it off the rack. Like it could be. And that's fine if it is. But Reagan has like a a portfolio of 500 other men shaped exactly like you. And they probably do that. They might. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, because they match you. They claim to match you with your stylist. They claim to match you with somebody. So, yeah, maybe somebody specializes in. Yeah, she's on the no neck beat. (laughs) Short no neck wrestler body beat. Uh, She's so bored. She's She's like, like, "Uh, here's another one of these preppy no neck wrestlers. Makes a joke about his wife. Oh, boy. At Uh. least this guy went to Bates. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) The next guy went to somewhere up in New England, maybe. He's a lacrosse forward. (laughs) Sorry, Daniel. You're in a category, bro. I'm not special. I am not special. That's, that's, I know, but so I think that's, look, I think you're asking good questions. I'm not like, and I, I hope so. (laughs) If I haven't disclaimed, this is a, unfortunately, this is a small position for me. Um, I haven't gotten into the numbers yet, but it's a small position and I hate to be the guy who's like, well, I would buy it more if it was lower, but yeah, I, I opened it up uh, below 18 and then the stock sort of has been on a run. The last guy opened it oh, in August or September and the stocks moved and I haven't really been able to do, I, I really would like to buy it at 16 is really the price that I have to enter, but Ugh. I didn't want to, I, I feel like it's, get stuck at 17 and I didn't want to not have okay. anything. So let's go to valuation in one second. I'll give one more sort of high level thought that Please. is ultimately irrelevant, but I feel I have to share nevertheless. So I, and it has to do with determinism and free will. So how is there going to be some reversion away from customers preferring to have all these decisions made for them because ultimately you are being boxed in and you're being number crunched your way to uh, your self-expression. Is there a limit to how much stick fix can, can do in this regard is, does it ultimately matter because eventually your choices are determined anyway. We're in this capitalist system. You're buying clothes and have brand allegiances, and it's all kind of being set up for you. You're just a cog in a giant machine. There's nothing really unique for you to express about yourself. Stitch Fix is just the latest iteration of this hyper-specification of our consumer behavior, and everything can be read into just a line that contributes to GDP growth. Maybe there isn't a question here, but... uh, (laughs) Can we get the sad I, job? But in but this 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 goes to other things. It goes to entertainment, right? It goes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It goes to Netflix cranking out all this stuff. The thing I'm thinking about is whether there will eventually be a reaction against this hyper focus on convenience and thoughtlessness that goes into all of our consumption. Everything it's like basically the trend is just away from thinking about what you're doing in the economy as a consumer i think it's yeah i I think it's a big picture thought uh i think 
The trend is no, I, but I mean, it's it's an it's important an accurate one. description. <laughs> the trend I think is so many services that save you time, right? And yeah. that's a reflection of that we don't have time because we're always expected to be productive. We're always expected to be on. I was just at a this morning. I went to some creative mornings event at some organization for I guess creative people, but I think it's like a lot of freelancers. They let, a lot, you in. They let me in. I, I they don't they don't they do not do us questionnaire when you sign up (laughs) i have free breakfast how you feel (laughs) free breakfast so but i was just thinking like man yeah i was there with a friend who she's in the hr space but she she sort of does 50 things at a time and Uh she's and then the the people on stage and they were talking they were like a creative they were a culture marketing agency and they were talking about the the need to like their presentation was a little weird. It was supposed to be about flow, but it was sort of about like what you're supposed to do to present an event. And it talked about the clothes you're supposed to wear, the type, like I didn't know, like I went with Amy and this friend and we were all kind of confused. And I just thought, man, you know, and there's this such, there is this dehuman, not, I don't know, maybe dehumanizing or maybe just really different than the world our parents grew up in, but you're not at one company. You're not like, there's this hustle, 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 got to sell yourself, make sure you get the hashtag right, etc. That I think is, I don't, I think that's much bigger than stitch fix. I think that's, I, I think that's the thing that drives then this desire for convenience and everything, whether it's the food aggregators, uh, whether it's the, it's actually a positive feedback loop. Where that goes to both thesis for Stitch Fix and similar business models. Well, and what I was where I was first going to go with this when you said that was I think about self-driving cars, and I'm generally I'm not a luddite. Obviously, I've worked for an internet company and whatever, but I'm skeptical <laughs> about newer technologies. And I've I remember I was in the car with my brother and my dad, and I said, "Oh yeah, self-driving cars. That's the one." Like. I don't like driving. I will be happy to be driven once that's like a, you know, high quality, sir, whatever you want to call it. Once it's good enough that I don't fear for my life, that's something that I'm on board for. And what was funny is that both of them were very cynical about it and expected it to be all advertising and whatever else, which, you know, interesting take. But the. They were um, right. It sounds like your family's better at this than you are. They, what, this was also, my father is the one who told me to buy Costco instead of Pier One five years ago. <laughs> He's a smart guy, but they, yeah, I, I think the, I think I hear you. I mean, I do hear the feeling of like, gosh, we're not in control of anything. And I don't, I don't think we need to get into a despairing tone about that right now, but my sense. Yeah, we'll do it after the podcast. Yeah. But my sense is that. That's all you, you got to pick and choose, right? For me, clothing, I don't really make much choice about it anyhow. If, uh, except I've learned the type of jeans I like from Zara and otherwise I don't really care. I like, I'll pick clothes out of my closet, but I don't really care to shop for clothes. So for me, this is a nice service. It's a change. It's something different. So I don't mind giving away. I don't personally feel that how I dress expresses who I am. Uh, that's just my, you know, music, Spotify, yes. Spotify gives me the creeps a little bit too. Daniel Eck, when I hear him speak, the CEO and founder of that company, he feels that's, that's where I feel what you're saying. I feel like yeah. he, okay. he views music as digital bits and you can fine tune it. And I think people, my, 
that same brother is in the music industry and he has skepticism that Spotify is just going to create their own artists and just cut out artists and all this. So I hear what you're saying to me. Again, we've talked about music a few times that to me, I, it resonates more for me with music where I do want to make my own choices rather than clothing where I really don't, don't care. And I'm okay. happy to take. Let's that come back to plate. Earth. I feel like, look, Daniel, <laughs> listeners, Daniel and I have existential despair. I, in particular, am deeply concerned about what all of these new companies mean for the way that our world is structured and the way that a person can exercise his or her free will and judgment in a technology-dominated and even determined society. But. Uh, let's talk about valuation for Stitch Fix instead of going further on that. What's yeah. what's your you built a model? A DC, built, is this a DCF? What do we got here? It's not quite a DCF. I built out. I took their end of two thousand their fiscal year two thousand nineteen. They reported in September. I took their numbers, their gross margin, the SGNA. Then obviously that gets you to your operating margin. I factored in. I just gave them a standard twenty percent tax rate. Standard 2% of revenue is CapEx, 1% of revenue for depreciation and amortization. I know that those should even out. I'm not, I just wanted to put some basic numbers down. I don't think I needed to get too in the weeds. And again, don't if your name is Richard Kinder. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Good throwback. Good throwback. Yeah, yeah. So gross margins over the last few years have been steady between 43 and 45%. Revenue growth last year was 28% versus 25% the year prior. I think there was an extra week in last year's numbers. So I'm modeling, I'm modeling essentially 24% growth in 2020 and then step, steps down 20 to 15 to 10 to 7 to 5% in 2025. Just, I, I think that's a sign that would put them at a 3.3 billion revenue company in 2025. A, little more than double where they are today. That seems to me they have that opportunity. Obviously, that's one of the key bets here. The more it's funny, what's nice about doing a model is then you can see your assumptions and what really matters because I'll go to how I get to my valuation. SG&A, I've, I'm sort of modeling out what the company is forecasting as their long-term target, which is operating income of 11%, SG&A of about 35%, gross margin of I'm giving them 46%. So that gets them to an 11% operating margin. That's really where a lot of the upside comes from. Can they indeed gain leverage? Can they indeed bring down SG&A? Which mainly means bringing down S, like advertising is going to stay where it is. So it's, can they bring down everything else involved in SG&A? And I did, I was pleased to note, I kind of tweaked it before I shared it with you, but I was pleased to note, I did model for shares outstanding to continue to grow. I kind yeah. of bumped that up. That to me is a yellow flag. They're definitely using stock-based compensation quite a lot. But long story short, I model them to have something like $2.15 a share of free cash flow and $2.43 a share of EPS in 2025, which I think the distinction is that I have CapEx being higher than DNA. And I then put a 15 times multiple on 2025 added in what I expect to be their, not literally expect, they have net cash right now of about three and a half bucks a share. I said they would have five then. They should, I think if you do this math, literally have more than that. But 
again, conservatism or whatever. laziness, whatever you want to call it. I then discounted it back at 10% a year or a 10% discount rate. I got that the price target should be about 23 bucks a share. I wanted to buy at a 50% margin of safety. That price target has moved between like 23 and 24. That's why I said 16 earlier. The stock's trading close to 23. So I guess you could argue that it's a fair value right now. There's some, I think there's some conservatism in the growth rate, but for sure there's execution built in here. So that's my, that's my model. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Does it fail? Does it make sense? (laughs) I don't know, dude. No. (laughs) Yeah. It's reasonable. I think, you know, we were talking earlier about this kind of like the, the type of growth company you would go for if you're like more of a value person is and the kind of I think the mission creep that we're seeing in security analysis in general right now is like value hasn't been working value hasn't been working okay so like what is a more refined approach to growth that would still leave an investor feeling confident in what he or she was doing and I think that that's basically what you've tried to do here is to pivot towards growth and find a company that still feels conservative, even if you have to sort of model out into the future in a sort of a cardinal sin against, you know, the stodgy ben, ben Graham yeah. way of looking at things. And I think there is something to this idea, like, can a company sustain growth in revenue and profits in the 10% range if If that's a sustainable dynamic over a series of years, then there's a lot to be attracted to about the company. I think your model here is fine. I I think you to like pick it apart, we'd have to do more looking at the sort of accounting choices that the company makes and the sources of their different revenue growth. And we're not going to do that today. I mean, I think on the high level, you have a company here that has some really attractive attributes in terms of possibility for increased operating and strategic advantage. Uh, E-commerce does seem like the rapidly growing component of the retail market. I wonder what, I think one, one thing you might do is this is a consumer discretionary type of purchase, right? Sort of clothes that make you feel good. I think modeling a downside case Mm -hmm. would help build out the discussions like, um, what would that look like? And it's not necessarily that multiples would compress all that much, but I think that the, you know, the denominator of your PE and P to FCF ratios might not not be quite so rosy. I mean, you have things sort of quintupling or quadrupling over over the course of the next five years. So that's that's the one thing, maybe some sensitivity analysis. But look, I mean, as far as it goes, I think Stitch Fix has some algorithm hocus pocus, a little bit of the make the world a better place, self-deception that I don't really love seeing in tech companies. But it look there's a lot that makes sense, I think. So I'd you know, I give you a give you a, pa- a passing grade. You got athletic. <laughs> athletic. This is not a husky. It's not husky. It's not slim. It's athletic. All right, all right. Uh, I rate rate this athletic. 
What? Yeah, I wish I could have torn you down more. I think mostly I had to res- resort to personal attacks here. Uh, <laughs> I like this. I like it, Daniel. Thanks, Mike. I, I th- one of the other things I think is interesting is I think about we talk so much about Peter Lynch and about no uh, own what you love, own what you know, and not that look. I like Stitch. I, I'm fascinated by Stitch Fix. I can't really say I love them. I've used it once, etc. But. I think what's interesting to me is, or what I think is valuable is the idea of, look, we have limited hours in the day. We could in theory just go index, but we're seeking alpha. We're trying to do more than that as investors. And if you're going to spend the hours studying something, it does, you know, and I, a few other people have tweeted about this. I think noon six capital tweeted or retweeted something about this, but. Like it's worth spending time on things that interest you and worth spending time on things that you might learn from both for your investing and for other things in your life. And so that's sort of how I've started investing more in travel contingent companies because that's a field that really interests me. And so I just think that's, that's something as we've talked a lot about Peter Lynch style and how to balance that and not like, I'm sure anybody listening to this will think that I'm a rube who is, or can think that I'm a rube who is like in the bag for this company. I'm open to a lot of things. You've done a great job raising some issues and I'm sure there's more that could go wrong for Stitch Fix, but I'm just interested in following it and seeing what happens. And I would like to open a bigger, or I would like to add to my position if the opportunity affords itself. But at the very least, I have a tiny seat at the table to watch what's going on and a reason to pay attention. Okay. Why not? Why not? Why not? All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Daniel. I'm looking forward to hearing your pitch next week. Oh, gosh. I'm going to get whacked. (laughs) Hard. It'll be a personalized pitch and review process. No neck, no neck pitch. All right. All right. Uh, let's leave it there. Good stuff, Mike. All right. Bye now. Bye.